Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Today I'm talking all about exercise and fitness with Lacey Dunn. Lacey is breaking the mould in the dietitian world as a fitness professional, bodybuilder and registered dietitian. Her mission is to educate others on evidence-based nutrition by promoting a healthy, sustainable lifestyle through flexible dieting. She believes that there is no one-size-fits-all approach and that self-efficacy in food choice is a driving force for fostering healthy habits and encouraging behavioural change. Lacey is the owner of a thriving online coaching platform, Uplift Fit Nutrition, as well as a host and founder of Uplift Fit Nutrition Radio. Lacey's goal as a dietitian is to provide the tools that people need in order to achieve a healthy and balanced diet while simultaneously helping them grow and thrive in all aspects of their lives. She specialises in metabolic resistance, body recomposition, hormonal health and thyroid imbalances. And in this episode, we discuss the benefits of exercise and particularly strength training for women, pre and post workout nutrition and what you need to know about that, what goes on behind the scenes of fitness competitions and how extreme dieting or over-exercising can really affect your hormonal health, plus calorie counting, macro tracking and much more. I love following Lacey on social media and she's such a big supporter and has a great community on there. Her Instagram handle is Faith and Fit. So definitely check her out and without any further ado, let's get into the episode with Lacey Dunn. So Lacey, I'm excited to chat with you again. I know we, I was on your podcast where we recorded last week, but I've never actually heard your health journey or your story about how you got into fitness and nutrition. So before we get into today's subject, could you start by introducing yourself a little bit and telling us about this journey into fitness and nutrition? Yeah. So hi, my name is Lacey. My journey with nutrition, all necessary. It started when I was trying to make the division one university of central Florida cheerleading team because I was a tiny little scrawny little stickling and I needed to build muscle in order to make the team. So I dug into the research. I dug into weight training and I figured out on my own how to build muscle, how to gain weight in order to make the team, which I did. And then through the next couple months with continuing weight training, with continuing schooling, then my grandma got diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, essentially. So then I started digging even deeper into the research and into the literature, trying to figure out what I could do and suggest to help with her in regards to treatment, um, help my family in regards to pre- prevention. And then I was blown away by the incredible non-ending um, aid of nutrition, how powerful it is for preventing and curing chronic disease and impacting people's overall health and quality of life. So then I decided, hey, I want to be a dietitian. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to be stuck in a lab. I don't want to be um, having to go do these papers in which I don't get patient interaction. So that's what essentially started me down the rabbit hole for nutrition. And I have been stuck there since I am completely obsessed with anything and everything, nutrition, specifically thyroid, adrenal health and body recomposition. Yeah. You're a bit of a geek like me. So everyone definitely follow you. I think you're at faith and fit. Is that right? On Instagram? Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah, everyone needs to go and follow you because your posts are amazing and yeah, you're very interactive on there. So highly recommend everyone goes and checks you out. And strangely, I haven't yet covered exercise or fitness in too much detail on the podcast and everyone knows how important it is and it's drilled into everyone's head that we need to be fit and active and get our activity in for the day and our steps, 10,000 steps every single day. But why is exercise so important and with this podcast being the hormones in harmony podcast let's center that around hormonal health 
Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question because people are like, oh, I just need to exercise to just be active and maintain my body weight. And that's not the case. Exercise is so powerful in training. There's a difference between exercise and training, but both extremely powerful for helping increase your sleep, helping to balance your estrogen, your progesterone levels, helping with cortisol regulation, improving insulin sensitivity, and then improving your mood and boosting those happy neurotransmitters in our brains. Exercise is extremely powerful also for reducing inflammation as long as you recover, reducing inflammation and reducing your risk for chronic diseases. So you're looking at helping improve your cardiovascular measurements, your lipids, your cholesterol. So there's so many things that exercise can help improve. But for me, I think the best thing about exercise is that it allows you to have a me time to be able to have a even a stress reduction activity that you can channel your energy into. So I love exercise. It's very important. Anybody who wants to take care of their health, their hormones, their thyroid needs to exercise. Of course, we can dive deeper into what are the exercises that you maybe maybe don't want to do versus what are helpful. Definitely. And I always say if you could bottle or sell the exercise benefits in like a pill, it would be the number one best-selling and a drug on the market and you'd be a billionaire. So totally agree with that, particularly for hormonal health. But I'm intrigued, what's the difference with exercise and training? Would training be like if you're training for a competition? Is that what you mean with that? Yeah. Okay. So training is is a specific it's a specific planned regimen aimed at a specific goal. So whether you are training for a marathon, training to gain muscle, training for a bodybuilding competition, um, versus working out is just being active and moving around. Okay. So it's all about the goal. Yeah, makes sense. And there's nothing wrong with doing both. Yeah, and for you currently, are you doing a bit of both? Are you doing any, or have you done any competitions in the past? I have done bodybuilding competitions in the past. Yes. Right now I like to train. I don't necessarily train for a specific goal other than maintaining my muscle mass. So I probably more work out slash train like a combination. And in your history of doing these competitions, like have you ever seen any like horror stories or like what goes on behind the scenes? Because when you see pictures, when they're getting the trophies and the medals, they're looking really happy. They've got their tan, they've got their abs, but what goes on behind the scenes? I think everyone needs to be aware of this. Yes. So you see these competitions and you see these competitors and I know people think, oh my God, that's so exciting. Look, they're so happy. They're having a blast. But in reality, they feel like crap. They have brittle hair that's probably falling out. They're extremely tired. They're hungry. Their hormones are down the drain. So what you see on stage is just a glimmer of like five seconds of them like showing their best physique. And that best physique is not the healthy physique. So I want people to keep that in mind. What people look like says nothing about their overall health. And getting down to that level of a body fat is an extreme sacrifice on your health and your happiness. A lot of the competitors, they struggle mentally. They have disordered eating. Um, They have poor relationships with their family members or their loved ones because everything goes into that show. Now, this is not for everybody, but for the most part, bodybuilding requires sacrifice and it is a big hole you have to dig yourself out of hormonally after doing it. Yeah. Tell me, tell us a bit about like what, what are some of the extremes that are people are going to. So I know that they do like a dehydration process beforehand as well to make the um, like veins pop out and the muscles look really defined so are there any other things like that that um, people don't usually know about yeah so not everybody does it the wrong way I know I have competitors I do not allow any dehydration we always keep an electrolyte sodium water there's many things you can do to make it a healthier prep and to not do extremes but the extremes I do see are cutting water cutting salt and electrolytes taking diuretics, which can be extremely dangerous. And I've seen actually kill somebody. Um, I was there when I saw when somebody died because they took 
diuretics, plus didn't drink any water, so they had heart failure. Um, people take anabolic steroids or growth hormone or insulin or peptides that can cause a lot of havoc on the heart, the internal organs, cause them to grow, um, and then, of course, cause some liver damage. So there's a lot of things that people do, as well as just straight up driving their cortisol into the trash, right? So training, 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 never truly recovering, and then absolutely murdering their adrenal hormones. So there's a lot of things that people do. People will go all or nothing when it comes down to bodybuilding. So that's why I've kind of like deviated myself over to like transitioning um, more into the health and wellness realm, because the more you see, the more you know, the more you want to deviate yourself away from it. Definitely. And how does someone like get out of that vicious cycle of caloric restriction and intense exercise? Because you sometimes hear or see the people who go from these really regimented diets and protocols, and then they just completely do a 180 and now they're just sat on the sofa, watching Netflix, binge eating on pizza and um, cakes and sweets. So how do you safely start to I don't know if the term is like speed up your metabolism. Like what are your thoughts on that term as well? Is that a thing? (laughs) Yeah. So I'm going to chat about, I'm going to make it generic, whether somebody is coming out of a contest prep or they're coming out of a diet, specifically like a chronic diet. What we have is we have, of course, your listeners know they listen to your amazing podcast. We have downregulation of our, our hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid hormone. We have drops in leptin, which is your natural, your body's thermostat for body fat. It's telling your body if there's adequate fuel or adequate body fat or not. And what I see a lot is what's called metabolic resistance. And with metabolic resistance, the body becomes resistant to metabolic adaptations that normally occur post-diet phase to help bring your calories up, to help bring your hormones back to a healthy place. But what I see a lot with the chronic dieting is the body is resistant to these changes and um, resistant to increasing the food and then increasing your meat levels, your non-exercise thermogenesis, increasing your hormones, and adding on this beneficial lean body tissue and instead going straight up and over-depositing fat. And so with the resistance, I see many times this is where these hormonal chaoses have occurred, whether that's estrogen dominance, low testosterone, or even um, a rebound effect from low to high testosterone affecting this many times. Um, And the hard part is many people, they see maybe, I don't know if your listeners have heard of reverse dieting, in which post-diet phase, you try and get your calories up in a slow and steady rate. And with metabolic resistance, this can occur. And it becomes very frustrating for people because instead of actually reverse dieting and getting their calories up and maintaining their body weight or putting on a little bit of body weight, they blow up like a balloon. They just gain excessive amounts of fat. And it's very hard on people. And that's your hormones right there. And it's a huge cortisol connection. I see many people, it become straight from having extremely high cortisol to low flatlined cortisol. So there's a lot of things that can occur, but the most important thing to remember is if you start noticing you gain weight and blow up, first thing you need to do is work with a practitioner who knows what may be going on. Yeah, you can't just go from 1,200 calories a day of rabbit food to eating 2,500 calories and trying to just do that overnight because you will feel terrible, you'll be bloated, you'll be uh, really inflamed and puffy. So would you do like, exactly. Yeah, you you can't, it can take up to one month to two months for your hunger cues to come back. Mm -hmm. You're going to be starving coming out of a diet. You're going to think that you need to eat, eat, eat. And it really takes a specific regimented approach, a reverse, as long as there isn't that metabolic resistance to get yourself back to where you're able to actually honor and trust your hunger cues again. And maybe not even with the extremes of exercise competitions or fitness competitions, anything like that, but people who are just overtraining, but may not even know it. So what are some signs that someone may be pushing themselves a little bit too hard um, and doing a little bit too much intensity wise? 
Yes. So the first thing that you'll notice is you'll notice trouble sleeping, maybe dizziness upon standing, extreme fatigue, especially in the mornings, joint pain, muscle aches. You might notice hair loss or dry skin, um, a lower body temperature in which that would be like your thyroid. And then what I see many times is trouble healing and trouble with recovery. So you'll have increased delayed onset muscle soreness, and you'll notice that you get fatigued easier during your workouts than you normally would. And then on so the other hand, the top yeah, the other hand of not training enough. So a symptom like fatigue could be that because you're sat in an office and you're not really moving your body, or it could mm-hmm. be that you're over-exercising. So maybe what are some signs that you're not moving enough? Or do you feel like that's not really a problem these days? That's a great, that's a great question. I think it's a problem for a lot of people. For my listeners, it wouldn't be. Um, But for the general population, signs of not moving enough would be shortness of breath, just walking up and down the stairs, not being able to carry your groceries back to your house or your apartment, extreme fatigue, trouble sleeping, which is another, these signs go back and forth. Now having a healthy menstrual cycle, that goes back and forth. Um, And then another one I would say would be having slow digestion because when you're moving out and about, you're walking, you're getting adequate exercise, especially aerobic activity that helps with moving the gastric motility along. So if you deal with some constipation, it could be a sign that there's lack of activity. I would think there would be um, another underlying reason there. One of the best recommendations for constipation is going on a fasted walk First thing in the morning with some nice hot fluids, like a nice herbal tea inside, ginger tea, go out for a walk, and I can guarantee that will get things moving. Yes. Uh, What cracks me up is some people, they're like, oh, I have coffee or I have this hot tea before I go work out. And I'm like, oh my God, I would crap myself. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. Oh, you're funny. (laughs) And are there any types of exercise that you don't recommend? like marathons or Ironman, Ironmans, triathlons. And I want to say, I get people like doing this. I get that they love it and it's a training aspect and it's something that belongs in their hearts. It's very dear to their souls. But marathon training, triathlon training, I have seen many times just absolutely cause chaos to people's hormones, their thyroid and their adrenals. And it takes months to get them back. Not only that, but people will be like, oh, I really want to lose fat. And then they'll do marathons, triathlons, or these high-intensity type of trainings. And then instead of losing the fat that they want, they're losing muscle mass. And they become these like scrawny little humans that, look, that just have skinny fat on them. And then they're like, why am I not losing weight? And I'm like, because your body is in a flight or flight mode. And it, all it can do right now is preserve and preserve. It's not wanting to lose that fat. It wants to try and help you. People believe these like ultra marathon trainers are like the healthiest people in the world and they look healthy to the the um the average person, but they sometimes just like drop dead of a heart attack and people are like, Oh, he's the healthiest person I know, but internally, because of the body fat and the inflammation and the stress hormones, you can see why some of these things happen, sadly. It's and there's a lot thing. of malabsorption issues. Yeah a lot. And when it comes down to, um, I sat in a seminar talk with somebody who um, has dealt with Olympic athletes and she kept going on and on about how they had to just give the people so much food because they just weren't digesting and absorbing it. And it does cause like a temporary state of leaky gut, doesn't it? Like when you're in this fight and flight mode, um, sympathetic dominance, the blood diverts away from your digestive tract into your arms and legs to your brain so that you can fight fight and um, run away from the saber tooth tiger so you're actually causing like a temporary leaky gut situation when you're exercising so you can imagine if you're doing that for hours on hours and hours mm-hmm. between meals exactly. not going to be a good combination and you're heightening your risk for infections and overgrowth hands down i've had um just in the past what just in the past month i've had two post-marathon trainers with SIBO there's definitely a connection plus all of these gels and products that they use like yeah the fillers that they use um yeah talk about those like are there any alternatives that you recommend and even like sports drinks would you just recommend someone having water or some of these electrolyte drinks 
Yeah. So what you drink and what you should have definitely depends on both the duration of training that you're have you're doing and how long you have been training. So somebody who's been training for a long period of time and advanced training, they might not necessarily need all these carbohydrate gels because they're fat adapted. They can use their fat for energy as well. But for the most part, what I like to suggest is if your training, your marathon, your endurance training lasts longer than 45 minutes, try and get in 15 grams of carbohydrate every 30 minutes. And there are some great sources. So you don't have to run to maltodextrin-based drinks. You don't have to run to these high glycemic carbohydrate drinks. Um, there are some great ones. I know Ruma is a fruit and vegetable-based blend, like completely all just like powdered apple, strawberry, banana, um, Brussels sprouts, like all these different types of fruits and vegetables, just powdered form. And that's a great option as well. And then I always like to say, like, if you can try and make it natural, like make yourself a little shake before you go with banana or have a banana if you can. Just try and do what you can to get these natural-based foods in versus running to the filled supplements. Now, sometimes they're, they're totally okay. Yeah, just but rely on these whole foods. Quality, if you can. Definitely, food. Food comes first. Um, rather, it's like with supplements. Supplements are great, but if you're not eating a good diet and doing the lifestyle stuff, then it's not going to be as effective. But they could, when you're when you're short of things and when you're out and about and traveling, it's fine to grab something like that every now and again. I agree. And on to pre and post workout nutrition. So you've just said about the kind of in they called intra workouts support so like the drinks and things but what do you recommend pre and post workout for the average person not a marathon trainer or anything like that just the average gym goer yes i'm so glad you asked because people get so caught up in pre and post workout nutrition and they get freaked out about like i have to do this i have to do that there are no set rules there is no anabolic window set time that you have to have a specific food. It's a wide barn door, okay? So what's important pre-workout is what digests best for you, what gives you the best energy in your workout, and how long do you need to wait in order to feel your best during your workout. For some people, pre-workout, they like having it 30 minutes to an hour before, digest well, digest quickly, they go in there, they train, they feel good. Some people they need to wait from an hour to two hours before they train because their digestion is slower and they like going in training without anything in their stomach. Because like you said, we have blood flow to the, the muscles. We want blood flow to the muscles in our training. We don't want blood flowing to our digestive system. That's going to inhibit our training. So what I like to suggest is about an hour before you work out, have a good complex carbohydrate or have a mix of simple and complex carbohydrate with a high quality protein and a little bit of fat in order to balance your blood sugar and provide you with the carbohydrates you need that are gonna fuel your workouts. And then the protein to boost muscle protein synthesis and prevent muscle protein breakdown while you're training. Now with this, this is important because we do not want our blood sugar to crash mid-workout. Some people will, they will say, oh, you know, I should grab simple carbs because so-and-so said this. And what they do is they have the, just the simple carbs before they go work out and a whey protein shake or something. And then mid-workout, they crash and they wonder why their workout is trash. So the agitation, shakiness, sweating, weakness, those are all signs of the blood sugar crash. So that's why I suggest that. And then post-workout, it all depends when your pre-workout was. So with post-workout, it's all about recovery. You want to fuel the muscles, refill that glycogen that was broken down throughout your workout. So for a post-workout, if you ate eh, like 30 minutes to an hour before your pre-workout, you can wait a few hours to have post-workout and you can just have a normal meal. That is just fine. Nothing's going to hurt you because that muscle protein synthesis is still going to be elevated from your pre-workout meal still going to be in your system. But if you did not eat, say, two to three to four hours before you worked out, then that, or you trained fasted, then that post-workout training, um, that post-workout fuel is going to be super important to have as soon as you can. So that's when I suggest having a low-fat, um, high-carb, high-protein meal, something like 
um, oatmeal with egg whites or oatmeal with protein powder or having some chicken breast with some vegetables and some white rice or brown rice. So those would be things that you could have. Now, of course, I'm not about having boring food. So don't ever feel like you have to have like strict set foods. It's all about asking, what is this food? What are the macronutrients in this food, fat, protein, and carbs, and making sure that you are listening to your body with how much you need in that time. And I'm all for healthy fats. So I'm always promoting healthy fats. I'm intrigued as to why you say to limit them pre and post workout. Yeah. So I like limiting fats pre-workout if it's the 30 minutes to an hour before Mm. you work out, because that is going to slow your digestion. And then that is going to cause digestive upset during your workout. However, that's like limiting 10 grams of fat, right? So nothing above 10 grams of fat. Adding a little bit of fat is going to be beneficial to your blood sugar. So adding in maybe a a tablespoon and a half of peanut butter on some rice cakes or some sweet potato. That's delicious, by the way. Yep. Great. Some cinnamon on top. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Or po- And then post-workout, I like to limit them because what we want to do is we want to start the recovery process right away. So having those fats in, if you need that immediate fuel post-workout, is going to delay that from happening. It's going to slow that digestion, slow the availability of glucose into the cells of your muscles for recovery, slow that muscle protein synthesis from occurring. So we want to keep fat lower. But if you had eaten before your workout, within an hour before, and you're just going to wait, do that waiting period and just have a normal meal. It does not matter if it's low fat or or high fat, right? You can just have a normal base meal. And that's what I personally like to do. I like to have a good pre-workout meal within like 45 minutes of training. And then I wait and I just have a normal higher fat, moderate carb, high protein meal a couple hours after my workout. I'm glad that you busted the myth of not having to get your protein shake in within 30 minutes. Otherwise your whole workout's ruined. That's a very common. Yeah, you definitely do not. I actually hate protein shakes because I find that they're not satisfying at all. And a lot of people, they take them and they think they're going to automatically digest well. And for many people, those protein shakes, I mean, they have a lot of artificial sweeteners. They have a lot of fillers and that can wreak havoc for some people on their or they contain dairy and they may be lactose intolerant. Exactly. Yeah, there's... The whole gas problem that people are probably familiar with, the people who like have protein shake after protein shake all day long, they have some pretty terrible gas. Uh, because... Yes. You, oh, you do not want to be in a bodybuilder gym oh. <laughs> all the time like that. It is awful. Not good. And there's the people um, with, I see with like PCOS and high androgens and adrenal stress if they were to leave the post-workout meal too long, do you ever see like androgens starting to be elevated and then getting into more like a stressed out state? Would you make an exception with those people that even if they had a pre-workout meal 30 minutes to an hour before, they'd still need to eat something right away after? If So when it comes down for me in regards to blood sugar management and timing, it's all about how they feel, how their cortisol levels are. um, And that's what I go based off of. I don't go based off of like PCOS or androgens because having high high testosterone doesn't tell me they necessarily have adrenal issues. Mm -hmm. So I always go based off of what their blood sugar looks like and what their cortisol looks like. If somebody has like adaptive cortisol, high cortisol, low cortisol, the first thing I'm going to do is, of course, look at their training, maybe take that down a lot, take out intensity, but most importantly, manage their meal timing to help balance their cortisol and their blood sugar. Okay. And then the whole fasted workout thing, people think if you don't eat any carbohydrates, you're just going to tap into your body fat stores and use that for energy. Is the truth behind that? So technically you would dip into your liver glycogen first, and then you would utilize fatty acids and then ketones um, for energy. But I want people to remember, just because you use fat for energy does not mean that you are burning body fat. And it goes the same for ketogenic diets. Just because you're using fatty acids and ketones for energy does not mean that you're going to lose more body fat. Body fat is always going to be, at the end of the day, calories in versus calories out. And those calories in and those calories out 
are greatly affected by your hormones, your thyroid, your adrenals. So keep that in mind because yes, you might be doing fasted training. You might be using more fat for energy, but you might not be in a caloric deficit and you might have some adrenal or thyroid issues going on that's going to prevent you from dipping, actually losing fat. I'm glad that you've so got that balance. That. Yeah, you've got that balanced view on it because some people are like, no, it's all about the hormones. It doesn't really matter how many calories you eat. You just need to have balanced estrogen and progesterone and um, cortisol. But then there's the other people who are like, no, hormones don't matter at all. All you need is... Um, you need to burn more calories than you consume and you're going to lose weight. So you, you're somewhere in the middle. I am because I like to say calories in versus calories out are what matter at the end of the day, but those are impacted by your hormones. Yeah. And this is why there's people who take um, steroid drugs and then overnight they gain 20 pounds randomly. Or there's the people who eat like a bird, they eat 800 calories a day and they're very overweight and can't lose it at all. So that it's obviously both things at play there um and do you recommend tracking calories and if so are there any apps and things that you recommend and how do you advise your clients to go about that yeah i personally love tracking calories i track macronutrients protein fats and carbs and i use my fitness pal for that but i also like chronometer because then you can look at things like vitamin k vitamin c vitamin d you can look at your micronutrients so i love that um lose it is another app now, not everybody can track macros or track calories because it can be quite obsessive for them, right? And I don't want anybody developing eating disorders, disordered eating, or having those tendencies that they may have had earlier during their lives come back up. So the first thing I, I do is I, I do have a questionnaire making sure I rule out what it would be good for people. But overall, I do like tracking. I find it does help people with learning about the foods that they're eating. You know, at first, if somebody had never tracked calories or macros, they wouldn't know that peanut, like almond butter, peanut butter has a little bit of protein in it, but it also has a heavy dense amount of fat and it can have some carbs, specifically some peanut butter, some almond butters have a lot of added sugars. Mm -hmm. So it's really a great resource to help build a, a, build a bank in their brains of this is what is in the foods that I eat. This is how I can choose foods that maybe have more nutrients than I need at specific times. And then people can transition from the macro tracking after they've learned all that and into more of an intuitive eating approach in the future. I find macro tracking, calorie tracking is the best thing that you can do if you have a physique-based goal, weight loss, muscle gain, maintaining your body weight, the best thing that you can do because you have more control over it. And how does someone know where they should be aiming in terms of calories? Yes. Great question. So there are no, there are no magic macro calculators. There's a lot on the internet that will tell you that this is what you need. This is how much you need for your goals. You are not a calculator. You are a human with hormones that have affected your metabolism as well, as well as previous dieting history. So what's really important to first ask yourself is what am I eating right now? Track your food intake, see what you're eating now, figure out, is this my maintenance? Question, how has my body weight changed? How has my body changed eating this amount of calories? And then ask yourself, what are my goals? So with my clients, I always use their current data and then I compare it to the mifflin saint Jor equation, which is a clinical-based equation that we use in clinical nutrition for dietitians or nutritionists. And this looks at your BMR um, times an activity level. But what I do is I compare them and then I say, okay, let's see what we can do. Let's change it to find maintenance. If you maintain the first week, then we'll adjust from there. So I always say, figure out your maintenance first, go based off of maybe an equation plus what you're doing now and be willing to experiment. So if someone's at say 1300 calories at the moment, and the number one symptom is weight loss resistance. So they have 10 pounds of extra body weight that just won't budge. How would they know whether to go up or down? Or is it just like trial and error? Um, without, oh, when they're not hard, working yeah. to, when they're not working with a practitioner, like would you decrease that? Or are you risking going too low? Or would you increase to see if you're maybe stressing your body by not eating enough? 
Yeah, that's really hard because everybody responds so differently. What I find is I try and overfeed first because a lot of people are just chronically under eating. So it might be a huge, a huge jump at first, but I do find if somebody's eating 1300 calories or less, get them up to at least 1600. I find a lot of people can handle even up to 1800 to start, to start with. Mm -hmm. Um, and they might gain like one to two pounds, but in the scheme of things, that's nothing if you can maintain your body weight then after that. Right. So that's the first thing I do. And then if somebody, if they can't maintain their body weight at 1500 calories, there's something going on. Where would you look first? Like the thyroid? I would look at the thyroid first. I I would then look for estrogen dominance Mm. or low testosterone. Yeah. Yeah, common. That's I see I those things at. all the time. Very common. And with the whole macronutrient thing as well. So you say that you like to track macronutrients. What do you mean by that? And uh, in which ratios would you recommend for things like weight loss, fat loss, muscle building? Are they all different ones that you'd work with? Yeah. So macronutrients are in the foods that we eat. They are proteins fats, and carbohydrates, and each have their own different caloric value. So protein and carbohydrates, both per gram, have four calories per gram. Fat has nine calories per gram. And then you have alcohol, which has seven calories per gram. But by tracking all those, you can add up the amount of calories you eat, and you can tailor based on your response to specific macronutrient percentages, quote unquote, or ratios, what would be best for you. Now, I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of exact percentages because I find they can be very generic and they don't take into account somebody's hormones or their insulin sensitivity. And so to give your listeners like more detail, somebody's insulin sensitive, they can handle a lot more carbohydrates. Like they could probably handle um, 40 to 60% of their calories coming from carbohydrates and maybe 20 to 30% fat, the rest from protein. Somebody who's insulin resistance is insulin resistant can't handle that many carbs. They may need 30% of their carbohydrates to 40% of their carbohydrates. I mean, 30 to 40% of their calories coming from carbohydrates then a high amount of fat, 30, maybe up to 50%, and then moderate or maybe low protein or high protein. It depends on what their goals are. So I'm not a fan of ratios, um, but I am a fan of always making sure that you have at least I say one gram per kilogram of body weight of protein per day, whether you work out or not, very important to have adequate protein. Um, If you're weight training, I suggest having around two grams per kilogram of body weight of protein. And then for fat, try and have at least 0.4 grams per pound of body weight per day, because we need fat in order to create our hormones. So don't be afraid of fat. Don't be afraid of carbohydrates, but be willing to experiment with your body to what works best for you. Gaining muscle is all going to be about having enough calories to build it. So being in a caloric surplus, I say go slow because you don't want to add extra body fat. That's not going to actually work with your metabolism and is going to actually cause inflammation and resistance in your body. So go slow, 100 to 200 calories at a time um, to build muscle. And then the exact same way for losing body fat, 100 to 200 calories at a time to lose body fat. Um, And that is, of course, that's if you have not been in a chronic dieting phase and you're already low calories, right? Yeah, it could be easier said than done for some people. You're just saying that. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Some people would struggle. If you can, find a coach who knows what they're doing. That's what I like to suggest. Because once you, it's it's an investment, right? It's investment. And once you know, once you know how to manage your own nutrition, you can just take that information and the rest of your life, you know how to adjust. Definitely. That's what I tell my clients. Like, you're coming to me. You're learning. Like I'm giving you the tools, the knowledge, the strategies, and then you get to be a butterfly and fly away and do it by yourself the rest of your life. Like that's my goal. I don't want you working with me for your whole life. I want you to be able to do things yourself. So be willing to put that investment in. And are there any minimums for carbohydrates? So glad you mentioned that. So there is this, I call it the, the brain fog threshold because our body needs about 130 grams of glucose per day 
in order to fuel our brain. So that's when it comes down to people who want to be like quote unquote low carb or they want to be keto. If you're going to go any lower than like 120, 130 grams of carbohydrates, you might as well just go freaking keto because your body is from that keto, from that pre-keto, which is like 50 grams of carbohydrates all the way to, you know, that 120, 130 gram threshold, your body, your brain does not know what the heck fuel source it needs to use. So you're going to have extreme brain fog, fatigue, poor mental clarity. You're not going to remember anything. Um, so until your body is able to utilize and process those ketones, you're going to have that brain fog. Now that amount per person is different. You can test via ketone strips and knowing your carbohydrate intake, what would be best for you, but definitely keep that in mind. Um, and then in carbohydrates, I do suggest for many women, a good amount, if you're insulin resistant is 130 to 150 grams. Um, and then for the general person, 150 grams, all the way up to 300 grams can be handled. I've had women come to me with at 400 grams of carbohydrate. That's not the average person, but definitely everybody can handle a specific amount and you can teach your body to handle more. And what are some signs that someone may be dealing with insulin resistance? So maybe they've, they're not working with someone at the moment, they've not had any blood work or their blood work looks normal, but what are some signs that they may be displaying some insulin resistance? Yeah, I see a lot of inflammation, a lot of blood sugar swings, um, and you don't need blood work to tell you that, you know, getting angry, irritable, um, not being able to go two hours without eating. Um, and then what I see a lot is abdominal fat a lot of concentrated abdominal fat and then acne that's what i see a lot yeah and the sugar cravings after eating is a big one or feeling tired after eating like you just eat this big meal and you feel like you need a nap it could be a, a big yes, sign that's a huge one i'm so glad you mentioned that yeah and if someone was to be on a low carbohydrate or ketogenic diet for therapeutic reasons because i do agree that i do think that they can be used therapeutically for um, people with like chronic inflammation or neurological conditions, how would this impact their workout either positively or negatively? And how might they need to adjust what forms of exercise they do? Yeah. So until you're keto adapted, you're going to have the keto flu. So what I do suggest till you get adapted is just doing lightweight resistance training. That's going to help preserve your muscle tissue that's going to want to go bye-bye as you're trying to get keto adapted and doing the light walks versus any high intensity movements. Now, what you can do is you could take some exogenous ketones and MCT oil that will speed up the process. Um, but it's really important to not push yourself and do high intensity work until you're adapted. And once you're adapted, you can train like normal. You're not going to have amazing endurance benefits, but you can train like a normal human. You just have to get adapted first. Yeah. And then t meal timing wise, so um, we've spoken about the pre and post workout times, but what about frequency as well? So do you recommend like three meals a day or are you in the like five to six meals, mini meals throughout the day um, camp? Or again, is it pretty different for everyone? It depends on somebody's goal. Is their goal gaining muscle? Is their goal losing weight? Is their goal just general health? Because sometimes both of those goals don't go together, right? Somebody may want to gain muscle. And so the best thing to gain muscle is spreading their protein intake out throughout the day in order to have those dips and those spike in muscle protein synthesis. So to gain muscle, it might be four to five meals a day is beneficial. If your goal is overall health and maybe decreasing inflammation and increasing autophagy in your body, then intermittent fasting, maybe having two meals a day, that 16, eight hour window, may be beneficial for you, right? And then it also comes down to what is your lifestyle like? What's sustainable for you? I know for many people, five meals a day just ain't sustainable, right? So for other people then it's asking, okay, well, if three meals a day is sustainable for me, how will that be for my weight loss? Well, for the most part, that's gonna be blood sugar management and calories in versus calories out. So then it's just asking, okay, that's fine. How does my blood sugar look there? If I have blood sugar swings, why do I have it? What can I do to fix it? Then timing with workouts. Is there a best time, like physiologically, for our bodies to exercise? Or is it just when we can fit it in with our busy schedules? 
there's some really cool new data um, and research showing that in regards to hunger levels, it may be beneficial to train fasted in the mornings versus um, training in the evenings because quote unquote, the people that trained fasted in the mornings, they were able to eat less ablitidum, I've never been able to say that word throughout the day. So that is some interesting data, but for the most part, I like to say train when you feel best, train when you have the best energy and train when you can, right? So some people, they just can't get up in the mornings. If I try to train in the mornings, which I have, I literally want to kill everybody and I look like a sloth. I can't even move. So sometimes that's just not for you. I like training around 4 p.m. Some people, obviously, they can't just randomly train at 4 p.m. because they're at work. So figure out what's going to be best for you. When do you feel best? And always know that it's going to be a three-week adjustment. It takes 21 days to change a new habit, 21 days for your body to get used to something new. Neuroplasticity, rewiring your brain. So figure out what's going to be best for you, what you feel best doing, and make that your time because there's no magical workout time. What are, the, what are your thoughts on these 24-hour gyms popping up all over the place so you can literally if you're not sleeping get up and put on your gym clothes and then go and do a workout the reason i really like them is because there's a lot of night shift workers i have had a few night shift nurses and if they didn't have their 24-hour gym they couldn't work out Mm. because they're working all day or they have that tiny like maybe a, a few a little bit of an hour window well what if that window was when they needed to take their kid to daycare or something so I'm a huge fan of them. Good point. Yeah, I'm always thinking like who, like the normal. Yeah, I know. Like who's up at person. three? Yeah, exactly. crazy person, but. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking about those night shift workers, so I'm really grateful for them. Just a reminder. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I am too because I know if I was in the hospital, I would definitely want somebody like helping maintain my health while yeah. I'm sleeping. Especially if you're sat down all day, you're sat at a desk, the last thing that you want to do is just go home and sit on the sofa. You want to move your body. Um, And then for workouts as well, how does the difference between male and female type workouts look? Is there a difference or can we train just as hard and intensely and in the same way as men can? Yeah, so men, they they obviously have more strength and power than women do and they are able to recover better in regards to workouts. But actually, as women, we have better endurance in regards to our muscles. So we're able to, um, I would say, maintain a load at a longer period of time without getting fatigued than men can. Now, we, we can't train as hard as men because we can't recover as much as they can, but we also don't have the amount of testosterone that they have. So that plays a role. But overall, when it comes down to weight training, like women and men can just weight train. They can both build muscle. Um, Cardio is not best for women. I know that's just a lot of women like cardio, but overall, there's not that many differences in regards to training other than recovery and power output. Do you ever recommend your clients kind of cycle the workouts with the menstrual cycle, the periods as in the hormones as well? I love how people can respond to that. Um, With the menstrual cycle, you know, we're stronger during our estrogen dominant phase, our follicular phase, and then we have the sloth mode, more calmed, relaxed, less energy in our luteal phase. So I do like some women to cycle, um, cycle their training with their workouts. But what's so interesting is not all women have those swings and those dips and their, their fatigue and their energy levels and their strength. So I like to say, if you notice that you are stronger during a specific phase, of course, that would be your follicular, or you have extreme fatigue, you have low, uh, you have weakness in your luteal phase, maybe tailor it to your menstrual cycle, listen to your body. But some people that doesn't happen at all. So that's when I'm like, okay, well, we'll just keep everything the same. We'll train the same. Um, but I'm all about auto-regulation in the first place. Like if you are extremely tired and fatigued, regardless of it, if it's on your plan or not, you should be listening to your body and probably not going to the gym. Yeah. And if you're on hormonal birth control, you're probably going to have the same amount of hormones every single day 
so you don't have those natural fluctuations like women without and yeah if you're in your follicular phase when that's meant to be the time that you can kill it at the gym and work really hard but you've not slept well don't force yourself to go and work out because you're in the, yeah, just the wrong phase of the cycle yeah, exactly. <laughs> use that as an oh, excuse that on my follicular phase yep. i gotta go to the gym <laughs> and um you know another really interesting though yeah is we are stronger in our follicular phase mm-hmm. but we are at increased heightened risk for injury because uh-huh. of estrogen's effect on muscle tissue it's really interesting, interesting. it's like God was like, let's make them super powerful, but more prone to injury. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, make really them powerful, but not too powerful because we would yeah, take right? over the world. <laughs> oh, we would. Let's be real. And for the last few weeks, and I don't know how long this is going to be going on for with the whole coronavirus thing, a lot of people are um, choosing to work out at home or being forced to work out at home. I would really, I really struggle with that. So I'm trying to get outdoors as much as possible and just stick with walking for now. Um, but have you got any tips for working out at home for those busy mums or for those business owners or people who don't have access to a gym? Any tips? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Cause a lot of people are struggling. So I like to say, if you can make the kids busy, give them, them some things to do, put your pets away plan out a specific time and put it on your calendar. Put it on your watch. Set yourself 45 minutes at least, 30 to 45 minutes. Kill it. Play some dang music that makes you dance. Put it on the TV so it's louder and just get in that activity. You can do some resistance with just body weight. You can grab some jugs, whether that's a laundry detergent, water bottles, cans, add a little bit of resistance, um, and then get out into nature walk around, do push-ups on benches, like just do what you can to stay active, plan it in, make it a habit and try and keep as much consistency as you can. Because with the coronavirus, with everybody being stuck indoors, some people they're not working, you know, it's throwing their whole entire schedule off. Well, I say try and keep your schedule as normal as possible. Try and keep those workouts in the same time you would. Are there any apps or programs, fitness programs that you like and recommend? Um, I think it depends on what people's goals are and what they enjoy doing. I personally like weight training and I like resistance training. So the apps are more of high intensity work um, and less on building muscle and more on building like endurance and aerobic capacity um, for cardiovascular health. But there are some great apps that are free right now. Nike's offering a free trial. Peloton's offering a three month free trial. Um, and so those are two apps that are, that are amazing. Allo moves is a yoga app and then, um, yoga by Andrian that's on YouTube. That's another thing that you can do. Um, there's also so many different people on Instagram right now that are doing free, like home posting home workouts. So just search tags, like home workout, easy one, yoga, like you can just find easy things for free. Exactly. No excuses. You can Google and find anything. You really can't. You can't go wrong just saying, okay, I'm going to try this workout. Like it might not be for you. You might have to adjust. might be a learning process, but I mean, it's a free workout. Yeah. Agreed. And how do you track progress with either your own goals, if you're training towards something or with your clients? Do you go off like personal bests in the gym, the number on the scale, body fat levels, mood, energy, just general well-being or a combination of all of those? A combination. So the most important thing to me is how somebody feels, their biofeedback. How's their sleep, their digestion? How are their hormone levels? How is their mood? And then, of course, I want to know their weight, anything, whether that's like photos and then, of course, stress management, I think is super important. So the highs and lows of people's week, um, any wins, any failures. And then I want to make sure that we are taking steps to make them feel better than feel worse week to week. Like the goal is to make sure that you're helping your client reach their goals, feeling the best way possible. And how do we find the balance between wanting to take care of ourselves and be the best version of ourselves? versus becoming obsessed with fitness and nutrition, verging on the um, verging on the edge of disordered eating, orthorexia, those types of things. Mm-hmm. 
I like to say, ask yourself questions. So can I, can I go to this meal without tracking it? Does having this food scare me? Is being gymless, is that scaring me or causing me frustration? Like these should be things that you shouldn't blink an eye about. Like, yeah, it might be sad that you can't go to the gym, but it's not the end of the world and it shouldn't be like causing you stress or anxiety or not tracking a meal or knowing what's in your food shouldn't be causing you stress and anxiety, right? Food is food. Food is fuel. We track in order to give us some data, right? But we shouldn't have to feel like we have to necessarily track. And if you ever come with like binging, restriction, anything like that right there is signs that your relationship with food is needing some love. Yeah. And then are there any final common mistakes that you see people making with their diet and the workouts that you want to discover? I, I definitely find that most people under eat and they're not eating enough and they're trying to build muscle and they're just spinning their wheels and they're not losing body fat. They're actually probably losing muscle and they get stuck in this like skinny fat stage and then they're afraid to actually eat more. That is mistake number one that I see. Um, and then not only that, they're cardio bunnies. And we've talked about the marathon training. We've talked about the endurance training, but I see that a lot of times. And then the second thing I see is um, I see a lot of women, I would say, think that they're tracking correctly, when in reality, they're not tracking adequately. And it's like the complete opposite of what I said of unreading, but they're completely overeating and they have no idea. So they think that they're eating like 1200 calories, when in reality, they're eating something like 2400 calories because yeah. they're not tracking correctly, or they're eating all these processed foods, which have actually, um, they can have up to 25% off of the calorie, the content on the food can be up to 25% off and that adds up or decreases throughout the day based on what you're eating. So yeah, that's another thing that I see is people just don't actually know what they're eating. It's like the whole nut butter serving size, like, oh, it's just a spoonful, but the spoon's like yeah, right? this deep in peanut butter. And that's probably like a thousand calories rather than a hundred calories. <laughs> And they're like, oh, I only have half a scoop of ice cream. Well, that half a scoop of ice cream, I mean, I don't know about, I don't know anybody who actually, unless you're measuring it out, knows what a half a scoop of ice cream looks like. And people, or a cup of cereal. True, yeah. Like granola is the, you, you always overeat granola. Or well, if you look on the, the back of the, yeah. Oh, like, it's like, oh, granola is all healthy. And then it's like <laughs> granola, like four pieces yeah, what are, some other, what are some yeah. other like health foods that people think are healthy but are actually maybe um, interfering with their progress at the gym or um, fat loss wise? Fat loss wise, it's those high calorie foods. So I see a lot of oils, avocado, um, ice creams, chips, cereals, um, what else? Nuts a lot, nut butters salad dressings oh my gosh those can add up very quickly i don't know if you you guys obviously don't have chick-fil-a but we have chick-fil-a and i went to chick-fil-a one day to get a salad and i was like oh I'll grab um grab a little packet of salad dressing and it was 40 grams of fat what? for one salad dressing i was like oh, that's like 40, 40 grams that is over half of somebody's yeah. dietary daily fat so yeah, definitely. There's a lot of different things. Um, serving sizes are the worst and they're, they're so tricky. Like everybody knows you go and you look and you're like, Oh, I'll have a few, like I'll have a serving of chips and the servings like not even a handful. Mm -hmm. It's so sad. Yeah, Knowing like your this, serving size. That's why I love macros. This bag Knowing contains 50 servings and you're like, Oh, I just ate the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that in my soul. And that's why I like eliminate um, we have a food called pop chips and they're a delicious little like air popped potato chips. And I kid you not, like I could go through the whole bag without blinking. I think we have those. I'll be sure to stay away. Oh my God. They're so good. My cat even loves them. Like I can't eat them <laughs> because either I eat them all or she will find them in the pantry and eat them. So yeah, serving sizes are just extremely sad. I knew your cat would make a, um, an introduction into this podcast, make its way in somehow. You're obsessed with your, oh, oh, she's there. <laughs> yeah, of course. My cat's been here the whole time and she says hello to everybody. Just your little sidekick. She is. 
Um, before we finish up now, I just want to ask you a few more questions about how you stay healthy and fit overall. So what's your go-to breakfast if you're a breakfast person? Yeah, so I am an intermittent faster. I actually break my fast at 3 p.m. and I have a big bowl of um, oatmeal. So I do oatmeal with a little bit of peanut butter and I actually cook in some zucchini in there to get some vegetables in there. And then I do egg whites and protein powder. And then I put in collagen as well. So I do a big meal then, and then I wait a little bit of time and then I go work out. So that would be my quote unquote breakfast. Great. And what's something that you're into lately? So this could be health and fitness related or completely random. It's a good question. Um, I'm a really boring person and all I really do is work. So I guess what I'm into is learning more and more. Um, I'm writing a book. So if that counts really? for anything, Amazing. downtime is writing a book. Um, and that, that's about it. I spend my, my downtime with my cats and watching Netflix. Sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and what's something that you do every day to stay in hormonal harmony? So Obviously, we know exercise is going to be a huge thing for you, but is there anything else that you do? Yeah, so I came from having high cortisol very much recently. And so for me, it's been in the mornings, getting up, getting that light into my eyes, making sure I'm retraining my HPA axis, nighttime, blue light blocking glasses on, relaxing, meditating, um, spending time in God's word. Those are things that I really focus on. Um, and then another thing that I make sure I do in regards to my hormonal health is I'm extremely listening to my body. So if there's any increased fatigue, joint pain, muscle aches, um, anger, irritability, any like little shifts here day to day, I want to make sure I'm not taking steps to wreck myself. So help yourself, don't wreck yourself. So it, it requires being a lot of, being very in tune to yourself. And I've luckily been able to find that. A lot of people have lost touch with that. So I love that you've made that connection. And I agree with the, it does. And the morning sunlight, that is really amazing. I've been doing that again because um, with daylight savings here, the sun wasn't rising until like 8, 9 a.m. So now it's coming lighter early. I've been making oh, a habit cool. as to just standing in my garden with a cup of tea first thing in the morning and just getting that natural sunlight. And I realized oh. that I'm waking up earlier and more refreshed than I have done in a while so it really does work so everyone needs to go out and try it's that. so important for the cortisol awakening response to train your circadian rhythms and for your listeners anybody who doesn't have light in the mornings get yourself a happy light it's mm -hmm. like $30 on Amazon yeah or the one like the alarm clock ones that rise oh when, yeah. yeah it's like the natural like mimic sunrise they work great as well I like the Lumi so I'll link that in the um, show notes and also what I want to link is where can people find you online so tell us your Instagram and when your book does come out where will we find that yeah so um that book's not going to be out for another year because okay. I'm putting so much into it but uh if you want to follow me on Instagram my Instagram handle is at faith and fit I like to share anything that's related to making changes progress in the gym anything that is hormone thyroid adrenal related my whole goal is just education and then of course my cats <laughs> they're all over my stories so that would be instagram and then if you are a twitter person because i love twitter my twitter is at lacy is lacy a dunn at lacy a dunn and then i also have my own podcast which you have been an, an amazing an amazing source for um and guests and it's uplift fit nutrition yeah and if you like this one i think you've had some similar guests and you cover a wide range of subjects too so i think everyone will really love this one and all of that will be linked in the show notes but yeah i highly recommend everyone goes and follows you and this has been really fun and i'm happy that we got to connect again thanks me too it's always fun chatting with you I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. 
If you haven't already, check out my website, vivanaturalhealth.co.uk, for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.